Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Krita, your host. Thank you for tuning in today. It's our pleasure to welcome you and to invite you to stay with us for this hour as we are looking into the Bible to learn more about God's mission and my mission. We are talking today about uh, mission to the unreached. This is part two. We dealt with the first part the week before, and we are going to just explore a bit more. I'd like to say hello to our panel, and it's good to have with us today, Len. Thank you for joining us. Yes, hello listeners, and welcome to the program today. It's good to have Joe with us. Thank you for being part of this. Thank you, Nick. Uh, it's always a privilege and a pleasure to be here. Hi, Jerry. Thank you for come with us today. Yeah, good day, Nick. Great to be here with you. Lija, it's good to have you with us too. Thank you, Nick. It's a special blessing. And hi, Will. It's good to have you with us today. And I'd like to say thank you for preparing the Bible study for today. You're going to facilitate this discussion. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Nick. Well, as I mentioned, uh, we are... Um, kind of looking into the same uh, topic, uh, mission to the unreached. Now, we talked in the previous program about uh, uh, those people whom we may think that is no chance for them, or even themselves. They may uh, think that they haven't got a, a place in God's plan of salvation. Uh, but today we are going to learn a little bit more about that and consolidate this thought that... Uh, God loves everybody and he has in his heart a place for every single person on this planet Earth. Would you be able to take us through, Will? Certainly, Nick. Jesus instructed his followers to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's Mark 16, verse 15. Then the Savior goes a step further to prophesy that this enormous and a seemingly impossible task will actually be accomplished because he says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. Matthew 24 verse 14. It is a work I believe that uh, could be very efficiently done by heavenly angels, but he has invited us to participate in this great proclamation. But there is a promise of power that lies at the foundation of everything we do for him. We need the help, and as we face that challenge today, uh, I think it's a good thing to spend a moment of prayer for workers to be sent into the ripened harvest fields. And so I'm going to ask would you pray uh, for us, please, Len? Yes, of course. Dear listeners, let's pray together. Dear Father in heaven, we have learned that you love everybody, including us. And sometimes things happen in our lives where we uh, question that love, but nevertheless we accept it. Pray today that as a panel we open up this particular subject that the Holy Spirit might lead us to share the things that you want to be shared. 
I pray too for our listeners. Some are in desperate circumstances. Some are are looking for something to um, grasp onto, something solid, something worthwhile. And I pray that our listeners will realise that the only thing that's worthwhile in this world is a relationship we have with you. I pray that uh, this program today will be of benefit not only to us as a panel, but to all those who care to listen. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. I must admit that uh, reading the Bible, I, um, in the beginning, had the impression that God was giving the heathen nations the cold shoulder. Which leads us to ask the question, is there any person you can think of that God doesn't love? Anyone whom he has forthrightly predestined not to be saved, regardless of what they do or do not do. That that person is simply foreordained by the sovereign will of God to be excluded from any part forever in the rewards of the kingdom of heaven. What of the blasphemer, the atheist, the terrorist, the child abuser? Panel, how do we answer this question? Well, as strange as it may seem, despite the evil in the world and despite the evil committed by some people, God loves everybody. And provision has been made for everybody to be saved. But, you know, there are some things that God cannot do and some things that God will not do. And one of those things, he will not force people to be uh, saved against their will. And so uh, God is not prepared that anybody should be lost, but if they choose to be lost, the uh, issue is upon themselves. So my answer to your question, Will, is no, God doesn't want anybody to be lost. He wants everyone to be saved. He's made provision for that, but personal choice will prevent that from happening. Yes, thank you, Lynn. Uh, Lydia, you had a comment. God has an open door for everyone, and his arms are opened wide also for everybody. So the Holy Spirit goes and touches people's hearts and knock on their doors to come to Jesus, to receive salvation, to receive security and his love. And if people are responding, opening their hearts, they will be saved. So if no one is unconditionally excluded from heaven, Where does the exclusivity or the sense of superiority or elitism come from that prompted the Jewish leadership in Jesus' day to exclude other nations from any part in God's promises to the faithful? Now, that's a really, really good question. It's important to note that there is a difference between the the sin 
and the sinner. And God always wanted his people to be separate from the practices of the heathen nations around them. God instructed them not to intermarry, not to enter into treaties or businesses together, not because they were so pure and good in themselves, but because they were so weak, so inclined to follow others in doing the wrong thing. And the separation that God desired was to help them avoid the pollution of idolatry and the degrading belief systems prevalent around them at the time. We might remember that they were to be a special people, not exclusive, but singular and unique in the darkness of the time, a means of God reaching to those around them by their example. They were to draw others to God, not become like them. And from the biblical record, even in the Old Testament, God was never exclusive to those who desired to change. We might remember our discussions about Naaman and Nebuchadnezzar, how God reached out to them and healed them. We have Ruth, the Moabites, and Rahab, the harlot, who are part of Jesus's own lineage. The exclusivity came as a result of their inflated self-perception. They had come to think they were so above everyone else, so superior and especially favoured of God, not realising in their self-delusion that God was among them in the form of Jesus. In short, their exclusivity came from their unconverted hearts and inflated degenerate egos, which had become the prevalent culture of of Israel. If I may read something from Isaiah 56, it says, and the foreigners, now that's referring to the Gentiles and the other nations, and the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. So God is not exclusive to people, but he is exclusive when it comes to sin. Israel confused the two and they rejected the people as well. It wasn't the isolation or the rules that protected them. Uh, It was a heart which listened to God. And we might remember little maid who was living in a pagan household and maintained her faith. Daniel and his three friends immersed in pagan culture, but they too remained true to God no matter what. It is the heart that matters rather than the outward appearances. Their exclusiveness even blinded them, as I've mentioned, um, their eyes to Jesus because He wasn't what their bigoted minds expected. They wanted a conquering hero, but instead came a carpenter without a rabbinic education, wealth, and position. And this is a lesson to us. We need to examine our own hearts, ourselves, about how we view others, because it is impossible to reach for God those we secretly despise. Very true, Joe. Nick, what do you think of this? Well, and panel, this is a very interesting, I will say, uh, topic because we're talking about mission to the unreached. Now, we have to put ourselves in the picture 
uh, even though we looking in the Bible, we're talking about God's people, we're talking about Israel, we have to bring it home. We need to understand what God's plan with us is. I will say, as Joe was uh, very um, well putting up uh, those aspects of uh, God's plan with Israel and God's plan with all the other nations around Israel, I will say that we need to understand that uh, even though Joe said that God is looking at the heart, not at exterior, for God's people, exterior, I believe it's very important. That was the case with Israel. God wants to show the whole world through these people who he is. We cannot judge other people to say that this person is saved or not saved. That's not our problem. But how we live the faith we proclaim to have in Jesus, it's important. That should be visible, almost like written on our foreheads, if you like, that people can see that something different in this person. That was the case with Israel. And uh, sometimes... God really revealed himself through Israel and those people uh, knew about the living God. I believe it's this is a very important aspect of uh, our faith in God. A good example does attract people. Len? Yes, I'm sure there's somebody listening today who's been told by somebody of a particular religious group, you cannot be saved unless you belong to this religious group. And I want to say right now that is a load of rubbish because there are several groups that say that um, you can't be saved unless you belong to our group. So if you've got three people, three groups saying it, well, somebody's got to be wrong. Um, it's not our job to uh, say that. And we Seventh-day Adventists will never say that. However what we would like to present and what we present on this program is to teach people that salvation is obtained through Jesus Christ. And we also try to teach people the truths of the Bible. We don't try, we don't make stuff up, but we try to keep to the Bible and share that truth. So, listeners, if somebody says you can't be saved unless you belong to our particular group, whoever that is, they're lying because you can. I just want to put a disclaimer there right now as uh, what Len was sharing because uh, we don't know, as we said, this uh, through the waves we are reaching out to all sorts of different uh, people and listeners. If you come across somebody, even if they call themselves Seventh-day Adventists and they misrepresent God, you don't look at that because you are called to hear the voice of the Lord through his word. You need to listen to what the Bible says. And if we here say something which is not relevant to the Bible, you are invited to shut down the radio. But we are hoping that we can bring the Bible, you know, alive. That's our mission, to allow the Bible to speak about God's love. 
Yes, Joe was speaking about the exclusivity, and uh, <clears throat> which uh, prompted the Jewish leadership in Jesus' day to exclude other nations and other people from God's promises. I want to ask, is it possible that modern Christians could succumb to the same prejudice today? And what characteristics turn us away from entering the pagan world or their world and seeking to reason with them about salvation in Christ? Uh, Yes, Will, I think that's altogether possible, sadly, that uh, we as uh, professing Christians would uh, see ourselves as the only ones. Maybe that's uh, also what uh, Lemba's referring to. And it's easily done because if you um, look at, so let's look at the world's population. We've got about 8 billion people. Uh, and if I could just mention a few numbers here, uh, people who embrace Islam account for 1.9 billion. People who embrace Hinduism, 1.1 billion. Those who are Buddhists, 506 million. And there are approximately 1.2 billion atheists. So if you just go by those numbers, you could say that uh, approximately two-thirds of the world's population uh, doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. Now, no matter how diverse people's ethnicity or religion or cultural background, all people, we believe, are equally loved by the God who created them and sustains them, equally valued. However, there is only one God who creates and in and is the source of all life, just as there is only one God who brings salvation and eternal life. So what are, what are we to do with that as Christians when we see all these different uh, groups of people with their different cultural and uh, religious backgrounds? Are we supposed to say, well, um, there is no hope for them? because of the sheer enormity of of the task? Or do we... And I was thinking of Noah as I was reflecting on this. Think of Noah. I don't know how many million people there were in in his day, but for 120 years he preached the same message. And it didn't look like he was getting anywhere at all. I I don't read in the Bible that his message was received favorably. Uh, And yet he kept preaching the message of salvation, that God loves all people. Come into the ark. The invitation was there. And I think we should have the same attitude towards people wherever they come from, wherever they uh, live. But let's face it, we, we ourselves could have been in that sort of uh, situation. We could have, for all we know, we could have uh, been born in a, in, a, in a country where Hinduism was the the main religion or or Buddhism. Does that mean that God loves them less? No, not at all. So what, and has been said already, seems like an impossible task. We should have faith in God that uh, somehow God will be able to reach these people. Um, so, yeah, we have to be careful not to exclude anybody. And sometimes we do that. We look at, and as has been said already too, we, we look at or tend to look at the external, the outside, whereas God looks at the inside. God looks at the heart. And we should be careful not to uh, judge people by what they look like even, 
how they live their lives, what they believe. All people are of equal value in God's eyes. Yes, we're so inclined to turn away, aren't we, Jerry? Um, yeah. Your view, Joe? Uh, yeah, I believe prejudice can be uh, an obstacle, but for most people desiring to share the gospel, an obstacle could be also due to a lack of confidence, fear of rejection, fear of ridicule, and that's a big one, negative outcomes, you know, um, like with Nicodemus, he was afraid to make his position known because he thought there might be some terrible outcomes for him from the Sanhedrin, fear of making a mess even or upsetting people. So there are a number of things that can actually, apart from prejudice, and it's not saying that prejudice isn't there, but among prejudice, there's other things that actually can affect how, you know, our courage to be a minister to other people. The challenges are, are very, very great. But I'd like to ask, with it already being difficult, seemingly, has urbanization even widened the gap um, further? What makes people averse to taking our witness to the cities, especially the large cities? Yes, well, this is a very difficult question to answer, Will. And um, I believe, yes, I don't just believe, but I've looked up the statistics. In 1950, there were 751 million people living in cities. In 2018, it's 4.2 billion. And over half the world's population lives live in cities. Uh, of course, with that, it comes uh, the uh, population becomes very cosmopolitan, and you have a lot of issues, um, crime issues, and all sorts of things like that in cities. So some people might think, well, cities are not good to share the gospel in. And there are challenges, like in some places in the world, some cities in the world, it's illegal to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you do, you could end up being killed or imprisoned. There are cultural challenges. Some uh, groups, as we just mentioned, Islam and Buddhism and so on, there are these uh, very deep-seated cultural issues. And if a person should convert to Christianity and accept Jesus Christ in their lives, then they have they run the risk of being killed, even by their relatives. And then there are in such a wide diversity of education um, qualifications, some places in many cities, People are illiterate. Same cities, people have doctoral degrees. I'm thinking of places like India, where um, there are more doctorates in India than any other country. So to reach those people requires different, different approaches to get to them. 
And then, of course, you've got economic challenges these days, and we're experiencing this in Australia where a lot of people are homeless. They are, are away from places where they can learn about Jesus Christ being the answer to their problems. They don't have access to internet. Maybe they can't even afford a phone. So there are a lot of issues facing cities. And so it's necessary to use many different sorts of tools to reach people. And particularly in this day and age where people are more individualistic, you need to use the tools available for, for that, particularly uh, social media tools. I am encouraged by this statement. It says, in the unreached neighbourhood of the cities, there are many who long for hope. Now, not everybody wants um, to be saved. Many people are happy with their materialistic ways of life. But there are people who are looking for something better. Um, so what I'm saying here is some of the traditional methods of reaching people in the cities will no longer work. My wife was um, telling me about in some areas of uh, even Adelaide, you will never come across people. They might live in a high-rise building. They go to work, they come home, and they disappear in their buildings. And so there are other ways to reach people, but we still need to reach people with the message of hope. It's uh, not an easy issue to deal with, but nevertheless, Jesus has given the uh, commission to us to go into all the world and to teach people about him and what they, how they should live. So there is a great work to be done in the cities. Ellen White has written this again and again. I am instructed to present to our churches the work that should be done in our large cities. There is a great work to be done, not only where we have churches already established, but also in places where the truth has never been fully presented. Right in our midst, there are heathen as verily as in far-off lands. In other words, people in our cities, many of them have never heard the name of Jesus, and they need to. And how we deal with that to reach those people, there has to be a variety of methods used and like I said before, um, social media has to be one of those methods. Yes, and the radio, Nick, radio. Radio, yes. <laughs> our part <laughs> that we participate in. What's your view there, Joe? I was just going to build on something that Lynn said about people rush, being at work, coming home, quickly going to their apartments and not seen till the next day. It, urbanization has widened the gap, particularly in the cities, because closer together but further apart, there's a loneliness in a crowd. Uh, people move around, and when they move around, I'm talking about where they live, where they work, 
uh, it's difficult to establish trusting relationships. Uh, busyness itself leads to less time for social experiences. The digital age, people on their devices. So even if they are in a crowd or on the bus or the train, what are they doing? They're on a device uh, and not engaging or wishing to engage with other people. So that's, you know, just some more of that. Well, yeah. you know, the yeah, the gap that's there. The picture gets darker and darker all the time, Joe, but we must remember this is God's work. He is uh, has given us the, the promise of power. Nick? Yes, uh, well, as you mentioned about um, radio, that's the reason we do these broadcasts, you know, because uh, uh, we're getting into the house of people and in their cars, in their uh, tractors, on the fields and so on and so forth, because... Um, as Len was pointing out, uh, we need to uh, utilize all the tools which we have at hand and um, praise God for this uh, possibility. And my dear friend listening today, you may join us and support ministries like this as uh, the radio reaches out to places where before was unbelievable you know to to get in and you know another thing is that with radio we are reaching more people in the cities than in the countryside because of the condensity you know of people and it's everywhere god has a plan for everyone and everywhere we should not be discouraged about this we should be just committed and allow God to use us and be part of a ministry like radio and many others in the social media. We offer ourselves, as weak as we are, to uh, the great work of God. And um, I'm glad to think that even the weakest of God's servants can be included in the great work of God. So, what really are the prerequisites, would you think, panel? So I'm going to quickly address the question, what prerequisites are needed? And I just want to uh, refer to Isaiah. Isaiah was nothing very particular, but he was willing. And the question was given, who will go for us? And Isaiah put up his hand and said, here am I send me. So one of the prerequisites needed is a willingness to serve and to face all kinds of issues, but nevertheless to serve people because we love them. Now, love them doesn't mean just lovey-dovey, that sort of stuff, but we respect them and we want them in God's kingdom too. We love them because he loves us. So the prerequisite needed is a willingness to serve. Thank you. That's true, uh, Len. Joe? I'll just read something that Chuck Swindle wrote, and this is what he said. I'll never forget a story I read recently. A businessman and his wife took a few days of relaxation at an oceanfront hotel. One night, a violent storm lashed the beach and sent massive breakers thundering against the shore. 
The wind finally died down and shortly before daybreak, the man slipped out of bed and took a walk along the beach to see what damage had been done. As he strolled, he saw the beach was literally covered with starfish that had been thrown ashore and helplessly stranded by the great waves. Once the morning sun would begin to burn through the clouds, the starfish would dry out and die. Suddenly, the man saw an interesting sight. A young boy was picking up the starfish one at a time and flinging them back into the ocean. Why are you doing that? The man asked the boy as he got close enough to be heard. Can't you see that you'll never be able to get all the starfish back into the water? What difference can you make when there are so many? The boy sighed as he picked up another starfish and tossed it into the water. Then as he watched it sink, he looked at the man, smiled and said, but I sure made a difference to that one. The businessman paused and he also began picking up starfish. Yeah, well illustrates, Joe, the willingness to just do your little part. We may not all feel very qualified, but I think with the power of God and with prayer and with the infilling of the Spirit in our lives, we will have enough of an interest in the lostness of mankind to uh, to go out there and uh, do our part. When here Jesus ministered not only to those in the cities, but to those in foreign regions as well. That is to those outside of the Jewish nation and the chosen people. To challenge the disciples of his fa- and his faithful witnesses, Jesus now focuses their attention on regions further afield. In fact, he points them to Tyre and Sidon. Lidyard like to ask, one might ask why these regions were never part of the agenda of the believers before. Yes, well, um, it says in Matthew 15, 21, that uh, leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. I think these places are not mentioned very much because they were pagan places. And uh, we observed here that Jesus leads his disciples on this field trip into the borders of these foreign regions so that they can learn on location what they could not learn so easily in Galilee. So Jesus wanted to teach his disciples lessons that would help prepare them for their calling to reach all people groups, including urbanites. We know that these places were pagan regions and uh, the disciples avoided these places. And we also know that King Solomon married uh, Sidonian princesses who led him astray, uh, which it says in First King 11, uh, verse 5, for Solomon went for Ashtoreth, the goddess of Sidonians. But this, despite the history of paganism and idolatry and their negative influence on the chosen nation, Jesus still brought his disciples to these places. In this way, he initiated them in cross-cultural or urban mission, confronting their bias and bigotry 
and modeled for his followers holistic or urban mission to all cultures and nationality. Jesus' interaction with foreigners revealed that the kingdom of God is for all nations, Jews or, or Gentiles alike. Jesus demonstrated here in practical ways that God has always been concerned with extending his love and forgiveness to all nations. So the offer of salvation is for all the people. Thank you. Nick, did you have a thought? I just, um, as Lija was uh, mentioning just uh, briefly, that, uh, you know, Solomon um, took uh, even as a wife, you know, uh, from these places, and then that was a negative thing. And then how we marry these things together, you know, not to uh, miss out on um, working into uh, urban places, but at the same time not to get trapped into the life of the urban places. And we may remember even uh, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, and all those uh, effects with um, with people of God. I think, again, we are called to be an example, to be a role model, to be a um, living testimony, if you like, wherever we live, and even more in uh, urban places. As was mentioned, that we live in a very individualistic society. We don't know our neighbors most of the times. Why not to change that sort of culture? I mean, be visible in the community to do the right thing, the good things. Don't just uh, stay behind the doors and maybe jump in the car, go to your church, come back and so on and so forth. Be visible in the community and allow the people in the community to see the difference which somebody like me and you can make in the society, you know? And this is the call for us. That's why we entitle this discussion today, Mission to the Unreached. You know, we are not here just to go on a routinely base every day. We are here to have in mind a call, a special call from God, a mission. And let's do that with the help of the Holy Spirit, with the, the most of our abilities. Yes, true. Uh, panel, let's go to Tyre and Sidon and talk about an event that happened there. Jesus had turned the attention of his disciples away from rural living to the cities, but even more than that, he pointed them to a pagan city outside of their, as it were, area. And uh, we find the story in Matthew 15. What happened there? Uh, it's confronting, I know, and is recorded in Matthew 15. And I wonder if uh, someone can read that uh, portion in Matthew 15 and comment. Joe? Yeah. I'll start in verse 21, and it says, Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. 
Jesus did not answer a word, so his disciples came to him and urged him, Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. In this scenario, it sounds like Jesus was being very rude and, you know, terrible, but he's actually testing his disciples and teaching them at the same time. He began by ignoring the woman's pleas and walked on, not engaging. And this unfortunately resonated with the disciples. What business does she have calling out to them? So annoying. Lord, tell her to go away. And then Jesus speaks to the woman and how he speaks to her would have had the disciples nodding in agreement. Here he is not only testing the disciples further, but displaying the woman's faith. She had called him the son of David, which implied he was the Messiah. Now, Nicodemus himself wouldn't have gone that far. If we remember from previous discussions, he had called him rabbi, a teacher sent from God. Jesus' apparent insult to her did not deter her from believing in him. Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. Jesus had begun to teach the disciples that the children's bread was indeed to be shared with everyone. And we might remember from Isaiah read earlier, I will gather yet others. Oh, yes. Um, I might ask the question, uh, Joe, how does this, we, it's a beautiful story in the New Testament. How does it resonate with us and our work and touching? Uh, we have the same prejudices, don't we? We do. Nick? Yep. You know, Jesus he has been known to talk in parables. And uh, I believe this was another one, kind of, when he called this woman um, and used those words that he was called to the people of Israel, not uh, to the dogs. Who thought of the Gentiles being the dogs? Of course, the nation of Israel. Jesus was just repeating those words, what they thought about these people. And I believe that this is very important for us to realize uh, that God is looking with compassion towards all people. Otherwise, if Jesus will have that sort of uh, view about these people, he will just not waste the time to even stay and talk. You know, he will keep keep going. He had many more important things to do. But this was very special because sometimes God needs to to use some language and some things that we may be awakened, you know, to say so, and to understand that that's actually me how I'm, I'm behaving and how I'm acting. And we need to change that to be able to reach out to the unreached. If he thought, in fact, Nick, that the Gentiles were not worthy of salvation, he wouldn't even have taken his disciples to Tyre and Sidon. Len? I think this story is very relevant to today 
just as this woman had needs, there are people in our society who have desperate needs, physical, emotional, and spiritual. There are many people who are not happy with themselves. They realize they've done wrong. The story also points out that Jesus tested this woman's faith, but in the end, he answered her need. And the same thing applies now. People have needs, and those needs will very often be answered in Jesus Christ, our Saviour and Lord. Oh, absolutely so. I think there is something that is worth repeating. During Christ's time, what prevented God's people from bringing hope of the Messiah to such foreign cities as Tyre and Sidon? Nationalism, pride, prejudice, all blinded the people to uh, the opportunities to see those nearest to them who longed for the hope foretold by the prophecies of the first advent. Today, in the cities, there are many population groups whom Jesus Christ wants his people to share the blessed hope with the hope of the second advent. And just as Jesus didn't care what their nationality or race was, neither should we. I don't know, folks. I sometimes feel that there are still some hidden prejudices which hold the great work of God back. We may not always admit them. But, um, yes, in, in Luke chapter 18, Jesus asks an unsettling question at the end of his one of his parables. Uh, someone like to comment on that. It's Luke chapter 18. Hmm. Uh, the question he asks, Will, is, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? What a question. In the context of that um question is the uh the, the the parable of the persistent widow and it's beautifully described in uh, the book christ object lessons and i'd just like to read uh, the opening sentence from that uh, chapter where it says christ had been speaking of the period just before his second coming and of the perils through which his followers must pass with special reference to that time he related the parable to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint. And the example in the parable is of uh, uh, the persistent widow who keeps on coming back to this judge who essentially is an unrighteous judge. He, he can't be bothered with her. So he dismisses her time and time again. But she keeps coming back and says, do me justice. I want justice here. And eventually he caves in out of frustration, not because he wants to do her justice, but he just wants to get her off her back, off his back. So, and, and it is drawn this, this uh, parallel by way of contrast. When we come to our God and ask or seek justice, God will speedily give us justice. He wants us to come to him. He doesn't, he doesn't send us away and say, leave me alone. He says, come to me. 
with all your burdens. Lay them before me. I know what's happening in your life. I love you. I will take care of things. Keep believing. Keep trusting. Don't give up. Don't give up. And especially in the time, as the introduction to this parable says, that relates to the the last days where God's people will have to face all kinds of hardship and struggles and trials. And don't forget that, that Satan is doing his utmost to, to, to portray our situation as, as the worst possible situation we could ever be in. He paints us in a very dark picture before God and says, how can you possibly uh, give them justice? Look at them. But we need to persevere and hang on, cling to our faith. Keep coming back, especially in the last days. And God will take care of things. God will give us justice. That I think that's the lesson behind it. Len? I just want to share a very small thing. You know, I think we have the best news in the whole world. Therefore, we should be out there sharing it. Mm-hmm. Oh. Absolutely agree there, Len. Absolutely agree. You know, one lesson, Jerry, that we can apply to what you have said is that uh, faith is found in unexpected places. Who would ever have thought that in Tyre and Sidon, and um, we have examples of the centurion asking for the healing of his sermon, servant, persistent blind men in Matthew uh, 20 and uh, Bartimaeus in uh, in Mark 10. There are people uh, everywhere in society, even around us, that uh, we don't, maybe in our neighbourhoods, that are calling or looking wistfully to heaven, not really, and we don't know it, looking to heaven, for help, if only God could point us out to those people, that we might reach them. Faith, like a light shining in a dark place, may make all the difference. I think in humility we must go into the cities as Jesus did, seeking out those when presented with the truth will respond with a saving faith in Jesus, and they are indeed out there. Yes, Jerry. And we'll also, uh, God knows where these people are. We don't necessarily. And it's, um, it can be somewhat frustrating because as you say, they are all, they are out there. Um, and we long to connect with these people and we should ask God to direct us to them. He knows where they are. We don't. But if we ask God to, to guide our footsteps to those people, um, then I'm sure he will do that one way or the other. Yes. Nick. My dear friend listening today, we are talking about mission to the unreached. You may think that you went too far. You may think that there is no hope for you. You may think that Nobody cares about you, but God does. And we pray today that you may come across those people who can show, who 
who can reveal through their lives that God is there for you too. I pray that you may be encouraged today to reach out also to those people who are walking in the footsteps of Jesus. And you may have questions. Why not to ask today? We have a phone number which we would like to provide that you may ask questions if you have. The number is 0482098383. If you have a question, if you have a thought, please reach out to us and we'll be very happy to uh, assist. On this number, I would like also to mention the offer which we still have available for you, my dear friends. And it's a book called True Revival. If you like to have this book in your hands and know more about God and how God can transform your life, bring it alive again, why not to send us a text message to the same number, 0482098383. And the code for this book is SA. BS2. SA stands for South Australia. BS for Bible study. Number two. Don't leave any breaks in between and our friendly robot will take you through. I would like to just have a prayer as we conclude this program. Dear Father in heaven, you are a God of love. Show us through the life of Jesus Christ, how much you loved us, that you gave all, that we may know you, we may give our life to you. We pray today that if we're going through some difficult times or if we don't have any hope anymore, that we'll be again reminded that John 3.16, or so God Love the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him, not to perish, but to have everlasting life. We just want to ask you, dear Father in heaven, right now, that you will visit each one of us, wherever we are, and encourage us again that we are precious before you. Dear Father, we just pray in particular now for those people who may think that they are not to be rich anymore. They are gone too far. Please visit them. And I pray, Lord, for us all not to be shy today, in these days we live, but to live the faith we have in you, to be transforming to many other people in this world. And we pray all these things in the wonderful name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, my dear friends, this concludes our uh, program, the two part of uh, Mission to the Unreached. We'll ask you to join us again next time because we are continuing under this theme, God's mission, my mission. And we are going to look into a very good story. You'll love this. This is about Esther. And 
Mardukai. Until then, may God richly bless you and have a wonderful, safe walk in the footsteps of Jesus.